Guess who's back? State hey. Tacky Jan. Hey, Tacky. Hey, Joe. Good to see you. Uh, a bit of a hiatus. Uh, hopefully you had a good time off this August. Thank you. I did. Got down to the uh, the Cape for a little bit of uh, sun and fun and relaxation. And I know uh, you did, too. Well, you you, you had a perfect uh, time to be there where it's a hot as sin to be on a beach. Uh, I was uh, out in San Diego on a business meeting uh, with the Labor's uh, International Union, as well as meeting some um, AAP, APP, uh, I can't pronounce it, Asian American Pacific Islander folks regarding um, politics and civic engagement. The uh, West Coast is a whole different animal than uh, us here in New England, isn't it? <laughs> it is. San Diego, I've never visited before. Uh, it is a military-based city, and uh, it's 1.5 million people. It's a very large city. Uh, but it is very pleasant. The, the weather doesn't change much. Uh, the people are nice, but everybody seems to have a tan and incredible physical condition. Uh, <laughs> it makes me a little bit feel insecure as I'm walking around, clearly <laughs> not the local. Um, well, I'm curious, what's the kind of the economy slash job market like out there as compared to here? Very much a tourism industry, obviously yeah. military base. You know, it's a big part of your economy. Um, you know, they have Petco Park, actually, which isn't far from where I was staying uh, on the waterfront. Uh, and uh, they have a thing called the Gas Lamp District, which is a big tourist attraction, as well as for locals as well. Um, but it's, it's largely a residential service, tourism-based city. Uh, and again, it's you know built around um, the military base, and of course, people about Z World, uh, sorry, yeah, that's C World, and uh, the San Diego Zoo and other local attractions. So, um, you know, it's it's and it's also a retirement community. Not big surprise because the weather doesn't change, and the weather doesn't change. <laughs> that's right. It's definitely dependable for sure. Unlike around here, <laughs> no, definitely not like here. Uh, so it's it's generally tempered all year around. Yeah. I'm curious about cost of living there compared to here. Well, I was in the more uh, expensive area because I'm in the convention area. So when you're in convention area, you know, they jack up all the prices, obviously. Uh, but it's, it is pricier in here. I mean, obviously, they have county taxes. We don't have county taxes on top of the state taxes. Uh, so it's, it's a lot more add-ons. Uh, but also, again, I was also stuck in the downtown area. You know, I was about two miles to everywhere I was trying to get to, whether it be a grocery store, a pharmacy, or a restaurant. And uh, it is, it is, uh, it's more expensive than Quincy, but I mean, it's probably more like in Boston prices in the evening. Okay. Yeah. Um, which, you know, not to say the same thing doesn't happen in, in the Boston, greater Boston area too, where the prices are higher than say Quincy. Yeah. Yeah. And again, when you're near the convention center, no surprise. I mean, they, they always jack up the prices there. Has it uh, kind of bounced back uh, from the pandemic, would you say? Are they back to pre-pandemic levels there? Uh, they're starting to. The hotel uh, folks, you know, I was talking to some tourism folks and hotel folks and the Uber driver and so forth. They're getting some life back this summer, uh, finally. Uh, the uh, COVID impact has been you know, pretty severe for another tourist location. Uh, more people have been coming in uh, for the weekend. The convention, they've had a very good convention year this year, uh, which is a huge part of their economy. Uh, so they're, they're getting some, uh, you know, economic uh, development again. Uh, Again, largely, you know, they depend on outside money to to push their service economy forward. Yeah, curious about the the traveling to tech. We've heard so many horror stories about uh, air travel. How did you find it? Um, it wasn't too awful. I mean, you know, I wore my mask in the airport. I wore my mask on the plane. Um, and uh, but it was you know packed by sardines. There was no empty spaces. Um, but it was slow. I mean, uh, not to 
decry Logan Airport as much as other people like to decry Logan Airport. But I mean, my luggage was at the wrong carousel. Ah, okay. At five thirty in the morning, and now you know, go to a different carousel. And uh, the workforce shortage is also very apparent out there. Where you know, I took JetBlue and I got there a little too early because of the nature of how things worked out. You know, I was there about two and a half hours early, but the JetBlue people had no counter. The counter was empty. So the word for short is visible when you walk through the airport because you know, even though it was a Saturday, I'm sorry, a Friday departure, Saturday morning arrival, um, you know, in the afternoon, Friday is a travel day. Uh, you know, people travel for business and pleasure on Fridays. And even though that was there about five o'clock, mm. you know, the ter- terminal was in, there's not nobody at the terminal working because there's a there's frankly a shortage of people working. Yeah, it's so interesting. What do you attribute that to? There, I mean, there's so many job openings. Um, there's low unemployment. What are people doing? Well, I still think it's a combination of factors. I still believe you know the mass retirement's real. I think the strong 2021 uh, market. I mean, stock market was insane in 2021. Your private, you know, investments have have done extremely well, and people to reach an age to get out. Obviously, people know property is high in Boston, not as high in other parts of the country. But, you know, you're property rich and the property values are high. You know, it's a good time also to get out. Um, and, you know, there's also the fact that, you know, 1.1 million people in the United States are passed on uh, through COVID beyond just normal death rates. And, uh, you know, about two thirds of that are senior citizens. Some are working seniors, uh, but you also got one third of the population who are working age folks or, or younger, or perhaps with children, but mostly working age folks that also pass on. So you actually have a legit human shortage uh, and we don't have much immigration in the last two years because of COVID restrictions, plus the federal government's, quite frankly, asinine policy on immigration and its inability to, to address the workforce issue needs. And, you know, you saw this in the Cape last year, especially because they couldn't get work visas for temporary workers for the summer. And uh, that is still being very challenged today to do so, to get temporary workers from overseas. Um, the price of travel is very high to get anywhere because of the price of fuel, uh, and obviously the cost of housing is very high too. So you know, it's, a, it's a myriad of factors. I think people oversimplify this as people that like, don't want to go to work. Unemployment benefits extensions have ended. Un- you know, all the bonus money people are getting from the feds is over. And you got to get a job to make things meet now. And uh, the fact that unemployment rate is too very low is an indication of all those things I just talked about. And Again, people, you know, go back to immigration again. I mean, the Fed's inability to to figure this out is going to cost us uh, in long term regarding workforce, but also um, you know, continue birth rate stagnation in this country. Yeah, it's so interesting you bring that up because uh, speaking to the mayor just earlier this morning about that very subject, and he also um, attributed some of it to the immigration policies, uh, and particularly along the southern border. Mm, yeah, I mean, people. Uh, want to come to get a better life and getting a better life involves getting a job. I mean, it's, it ain't complicated. Uh, people want to be able to have a better life with their children. Many of them are families. And uh, those of you know, including my parents, uh, you know, will sacrifice a lot uh, to give the kids a better life and education and opportunity. So to do whatever it takes. Uh, but, you know, this country's, uh, and we're not the only country, but, you know, we have this inability to reconcile, uh, you know, immigration laws uh, to meet the society we live in today. And historically speaking, throughout U.S. history, you look at the census patterns, immigration waves, the economy, and everything else around you, 
no big surprise. You know, a wave a wave of immigrants have kept this country afloat through low birth rates and economic decline and workforce shortages. Not Neil. No, right. I mean, just here in Quincy, of course, uh, immigrants built the granite industry, the shipbuilding industry, maybe now the financial services, the healthcare industry. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm. And also the uh, fact that people under some misnomer that everybody that you know got here in the last eighty years were were legal immigrants that worked here. That, that's uh, people here that came uh, uh, sneaking over the border is not a new thing in the United States, and we've been. You know, you've been living with this for a while because you're not exactly sitting around asking your uh, the person next to you at the restaurant, can I see your papers? I mean, I don't think anybody does that. Uh, but also, you know, they've been part of that workforce uh, and people don't really appreciate uh, people in our workforce. Uh, as I say, again, you know, it's always good to thank the person serving you at the grocery store, always thank the server at the restaurant, you know, always thank the person, you know, the cashier and seating you because... You know, if nothing else, COVID has shown us how, how many people uh, make our lives so much easier on a day-to-day basis. And, uh, you know, you think I'm sitting around asking about your immigration status? No. Yeah, I know there is, uh, seeing as one of the topic, um, looks like a successful effort to get a ballot question uh, this year on the, the new um, driver's license law. Yeah, I'll be curious how this one goes. This is the second attempt by the Republican Party uh, to try to take away uh, someone's right that has been given to by the legislature. Uh, the last time they did this was regarding the transgender civil rights vote, which the uh, state overwhelmingly uh, rejected taking away their civil rights. So it's curious, right? I mean, we saw the issue regarding um, Roe versus Wade issue in DC and the Supreme Court. Regardless of your position on abortion, that isn't the key issue about that uh, case. The key issue of case is that the court took away someone's rights. Forget all the other philosophical issues. If that's important to you, so be it. But my important issue of that case is taking away someone's rights. And the court has taken rights away, but that was granted by the executive branch or the legislative branch. The ones that strike me the most obvious is taking away citizenship rights from the Asian Americans. Uh, which has been done. Uh, the f- only case of a U.S. citizen granted citizenship was an Indian person who got it, lost it, got it, lost it uh, in a Supreme Court that took his uh, rights away uh, for no other fact that they determined that he's ineligible because of race. Hmm. Um, so uh, very rarely you see the court give it a, uh, take away a right that the court creates. It does, I'm not saying it's impossible, it's very rare. So what does this mean? It means that any other uh, court created rights, whether it be you know, the right to privacy in your home, home, the right to love who you want to love, the right to um, decide, uh, what else is there? Oh, voting rights, right? There's also, you know, try to uh, mandate how voting rights work as well as gerrymandering issues, right? I mean, there's a whole lot of uh, grandparent grandparent rights. A lot of grandparent rights actually as Supreme Court decided. uh, They don't touch it often, but the few times they have, uh, you know, created a lot of grandparental rights regarding situations where the children are able to become parents. Um, You know, there's a lot of issues uh, that the court has created as rights that's well beyond um, Roe v. Wade. And, uh, you know, the concern uh, here is that, you know, again, for better, for worse, for whatever reason, you know, it tends to be a Republican group that's looking to take away somebody's rights that the legislature and executive branch creates. 
Yeah, it's going to be interesting um, to see how that pans out. You're right, for sure. Um, we talk a little bit about the Inflation Reduction Act that was passed uh, at the national level and uh, how it might impact us here on, on the local level. Well, it's amazing how something gets done when it tries to get done, right? So uh, how does it affect us on the local level? We won't really know for some time. I mean, like the uh, COVID money that we've gotten over the last three years, you, know, you really feel the impact until programs walk out um, because it takes time for things to, to walk and move and, you know, to happen, right? Uh, you know, some of what, the big one everyone talks about locally is really about the uh, electric car rebate program. Mm -hmm. we, we included in the... Um, our own wind and climate change bill uh, at the state level uh, rebate for electric cars, but it has to be a certain minimum value. You know, feds do that too, but it requires the batteries to be predominantly made in the United States and all products and substances not used by uh, uh, a country that we consider hostile. We'll be very simplified on that because we know international stuff is much more nuanced. But you know, that, that's the one that's catching a lot of people's attention as we move towards uh, electrification of our vehicles. To try to be more palatable and capable for people to afford them despite rising prices. Uh, but that, that's, you know, that's an interesting thing, you know, made in America, uh, so to speak, or made of Navajo hostile, hostile nations. Um, and how does that really affect, um, affect us on, on uh, being afforded to what we want to buy? So, you know, that's a big one. I mean, obviously, the healthcare issue, Medicaid, Medicare uh, drug prescription about purchasing should have happened a long, long time ago. Mm. One of the biggest pace, uh, base of uh, consumers is the senior population needing the medications. And the fact that feds took so long to take advantage of this large group of consumers uh, to, to bargain the best price for consumer dr uh, for drugs, you know, for that demographic is, it should have happened a long time ago. I mean, this, this is like common sense economics, right? So someone like my mother, for example, who's living on a fixed income, um, you know, would be beneficiary uh, regarding uh, her uh, drug purchases, purchases down the road. Yeah, I think it caps uh, the cost of insulin um, as well, which uh, obviously millions and millions of people use every day. Well, we saw the incident regarding the venture capitalists who, who bought the insulin company and jacked it to price like 2,000% or some insane number. I mean, it is amazing how, uh, you know, some folks just want to take advantage of folks of, of something that's a necessity while still able to make money at a very, you know, at a modest price as opposed mm -hmm. to making test money by, by, by gouging people, by putting their lives at risk. Yeah. Um, like you say, it's going to take a while, um, but the impact on energy prices, I think, is going to be interesting to watch as well. Well, it does its best to expand clean energy, but, you know, not actually devastate the coal industry. As we heard from Senator Manchin, you know, he's a coal state from West Virginia. He was trying to preserve his jobs that he can. But there's also the economic reality. Coal is in decline, will continue to be in decline, and it's going to be in decline in the United States for many years to come, uh, even the current energy crunch. That leaves you exporting coal to other places that want coal, but, I mean, the place that really wants coal is China. Uh, and even then, I mean, you you may have may not have seen on the news that the the hydro dams have dried up, yep. and they can't generate hydropower, and they don't have increased capacity, uh, meaning they don't have peak power capacity like we do in the U.S. So, even though they're burning the fossil fuels, there's no more fossil fuels to burn because there are no more plants to burn fossil fuels to generate more power. Right. So, as much as people take a lot of criticism in the U.S. about you know energy policy. Uh, it's uh, very unlikely that many states, I'm not saying it won't happen in certain regions, but most of us should have sufficient uh, energy uh, despite the price of structure and um, climate change issues. So um, 
you know, we'll see how that rolls out uh, as we continue our investment, you know, in uh, renewable energy through the inflation, you know, inflation, inflation combat bill. Very strange title. <laughs> uh, and, um, you know, on top of the investments, you know, we've been making the, you know, the last decade. Yep. And another major topic since we last talked, Tacky, is the student uh, loan forgiveness um, effort that, that was uh, approved. How do you feel about that? I don't even know how it works yet, to be honest with you. Uh, I mean, a lot of people are confused about it. Yeah. It doesn't affect everybody. I mean, obviously, like in the past, if you got privately bank owned loans that you got on your own, well, you're stuck. You can't think about that. If you got federal loans, well, it depends which one you have. For example, you know, there's been other programs going loan forgiveness for public servants, you know, other types of uh, loan deductions that I personally have never qualified for because my loans are too old or they're the wrong type of loan because those loans don't exist anymore because mm-hmm. I got the loans initially more than 20 years ago. So it's extremely confusing who actually gets this benefit right off the bat, folks. Okay, so those of you on student loans, don't get too excited. The details are what matters. Take it from a guy who's twice been like, what moments uh, who did not qualify for anything. Um, uh, that being said, I mean, I'm down to my last decade in uh, loans from law school. Uh, which I merged in my undergrad loan. So I've been in the student loan payment period for a very long time uh, in my life uh, at this stage. And, you know, I do have mixed reactions about it. Part of it is that uh, people uh, who took student loans made the conscious decision to do it. I mean, no one held a gun to your head unless your parents were really mean or something. Uh, <laughs> you have to go to college. Um, you know, you, got, you should have been thinking about this as you kind of went in. Uh, how you're going to deal with it. And I certainly was thinking about it. I went to Brandeis, the second most expensive school in the country and uh, at the time, and I uh, was very aware of the size of my debt load, very aware of the size of the situation, and very thankful for uh, grant programs at the at the school level to try to keep me in. Um, same thing at BC High. I mean, those of you aware, my father passed away when I was 15. Uh, we had financial problems at BC High, you know, worked with the family, worked with us, tried to figure out how I could finish my education there. Very thankful for their, for their efforts. So it isn't like schools won't try to help you out. I mean, they'll do the best they can. Um, but at the same time, you, you have to make a conscious decision. And one of the other funny statistics about student loans is that how many people actually finish school? There's some uh, people should look at, uh, I'm trying to remember where I got this data set. I was, I gotta find this thing again, but there are some interesting data sets about people who are default on school loans who never finish school. Hmm. So I don't know if this applies to people who did finish school or not finish school. Yeah, good question. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know the answer to that either. I mean, th- there's a lot of moving parts here. I think people under the false pretense that everybody in student loan debt actually got a 40 degree. Right. Yeah. It's well, a lot of people start school without knowing where they're going. You know, they just they just uh, follow that path just because. Uh, agreed. And, you know, the, the public reception is you can make more money, you've got a four-year education. Yeah, in the big picture uh, statistics, but it doesn't really trickle down correctly once you stop, you know, breaking down the microcosms. So, you know, I kind of have mixed feelings about this. You know, on the one front, I get it, you know, that load is high, but, you know, you still have to figure out how to manage your own life. And, uh, you know, yeah, you're not a kid anymore. You're, you're, you're 18, 19, 20, 20, 22. You're an adult, a young adult. And, uh, you, you know, keywords doubt, probably being a doubt trying to figure out how to make this work. So, you know, not to say, you know, look, you're not the first one today to be in this problem. I've been in this problem a long time, too. Yeah. 
Yeah. And somehow I had to figure this out. Like everybody. One of the life challenges that you'll face is figuring out your finances. That's right. <laughs> and there's another piece that I think people don't want to talk about, which I think a few news outlets have pointed out, but hasn't really caught on yet. Is that Biden does this. The president does this. That's taxable income. Mm-hmm. Loan forgiveness is taxable income by the state and the federal and the county, depending on part of the country you're in. So let's do a little quick math here, right? Let's say you're making like 50 grand for easy math. Let's say your um, tax rate is 15%. Let's say that, you know, in the state, you Massachusetts tax rate is 5%. You're taking, you know, 10 grand uh, reduction. And just for simple math, that's 20% of taxes right off the bat. So you have to pay a lump sum taxes of 20% against $10,000, which is about two grand. Right. And that means you have to pay those taxes on tax day. Now, if you're uh, money crunched, can you come up with that lump sum in exchange for essentially eight grand in loan forgiveness? Hmm. Okay. I had not heard that. Interesting. Because it, when, when you have a loan forgive, it becomes income. Yes. It's right. It's, it's, well, it's debt that you no longer owe. So therefore, it's on the other side of your ledger, right? Yeah. And then you got the Pell Grant people. So you made that potentially $20,000. Yeah. Using again the same example, you know, let's say it's a 15% Fed rate, let's say it's a 5% state rate, let's say it's 20%. The numbers mm-hmm. four grand you have to drop in bulk. Now, if you're having financial challenges now to make ends meet, you know, you're going to drop four grand right away on twenty thousand dollars. You know, so you're getting a sixteen thousand dollar benefit. So you got to figure out how that math works in your real life. So you don't have four grands in savings or four grands you can spare next tax day. You know, that twenty grand benefit may not be appetizing. Hmm, interesting. I had not heard that point. Um, it's a little confusing because the, the, the grant goes to the institution, right? It doesn't go to the individual. Correct. So, I mean, when you got a Pell Grant or other certain types of grants, there are actually uh, all kinds of uh, income tax laws that if it's paid directly to the institution, it's not really considered part of the income. Right. But these are loans to the individual, not to the institution. So since you're carrying those loans, it becomes income if it's forgiven. Now, that's why they talk about Congress taking action, because Congress can suspend the income tax. On that. And, you know, there'd be pressure at my level of whether or not we should spend the income, spend the income tax on uh, loan forgiveness. I suspect that's going to be one of those issues that we brought up next year if this program is implemented. And, you know, who knows how this program is going to be implemented. Yeah. OK. Very interesting. Yeah. It may, you know, and because we've already like, like the PPP, I use an example for businesses. You know, those who took it as a loan is not income. Uh, those businesses that took it as a grant, it becomes income. Hmm. So, uh, you know, the state uh, did not take uh, any income tax on PPP grants from small businesses. Um, yeah, I mean, a little different because COVID was not their choice, you know. <laughs> yeah, and, and they, they're fortunate, and those who are fortunate to qualify and was able to get in when there's still money in that program at the federal level. I mean, the legislature's feeling was the fact that despite, at the time, we didn't know we had any money. I know we're right. money now, but at the time, oh, we weren't exactly clear what was going on. You know, we took a shot at forgoing that money, hoping that, you know, that'll be okay for us at our level, uh, that, you know, it wouldn't impact our ability to balance budget, which you think. Mm-hmm. But we did the same thing with unemployment benefits. We followed the mm-hmm. federal government unemployment benefits regarding, uh, I think, the first 10 or 20 grand or something. I think some amount at the beginning was taxable which also saved a lot of people in the tax bill um, during income tax day. And you know, we still uh, had a, a very good uh, income tax collection, but it's really capital gains and corporate taxes. It's complicated. As you guys right. can imagine, you know, there's a lot of moving parts here. But uh, you know, this is going to be the pressure on Congress and the legislature about whether or not to 
to uh, allow the people to get these um, loans tax-free. So, I mean, I have a lot, as you can tell, folks, I have a lot of mixed feeling about this. On the one part, you know, I get the debt issue and the impact it has on folks. And the other part, I mean, no one put a gun that you had to go to college and make this work. I and mean, you had, to, you had to, part of this life is figuring it out. Seeing as you brought it up, Tacky, um, is the state legislature going to get into a, a session before uh, the start of the new session to deal with the budget surplus? No, uh, <laughs> I, I just I don't believe we're going to go back in unless there's a like a like a sky is falling emergency situation. Speaker of the House is very committed to not to do this, and there's no point for the Senate to come in if the House ain't coming in. Um, the governor could recall us, but you know we wouldn't have a calendar, so we could gavel in and gavel out. So that doesn't work either. So if we're going to do this, we have to go into the clear agenda what we're doing, get in, do our job, and get out, and try mm -hmm. to limit um, other folks from doing things where we're trying to get our agenda done, uh, namely procedural position, uh, procedural maneuvers to extend the calendar day, as well as uh, you know filing amendments or trying to push other bills onto the floor beyond the scope of what we're trying to do that one day. Okay. It's uh, it, it's it, people think it's like a simple thing in and out. No, I mean when people have an opportunity to try to do more than what you want uh, on your agenda list, unless you create a situation where you're forced them into just doing the agenda, they're going to take an opportunity to do other things. So uh, during a normal session, this is easy because you know we can move to a new calendar day. Uh, you know if things get kind of wacky, um, but you know if it's one day in and out, uh, that, that that's not going to happen. So I would not put money down that would be back before swearing in day. Okay, very good. Which what what is that date actually? Do you know? The first Wednesday after the first first Wednesday after the first Tuesday in the month of January. Okay, alrighty. So um, there there is a primary election coming up. Yeah, um, everyone, please remember to vote. I mean, the early voting has occurring now at City Hall to I believe this Friday. Your mail in ballots are still out to get in, but you better get your mail in ballots straight to City Hall uh, to do that. At that point, you must do early voting. Uh, and of course, primary day is on the 6th, uh, City Hall and the council had a special session just to vote on one thing, which is the location of the special election, I'm sorry, it's the special, uh, the early, not special, the early voting, okay, right. council yep. voted for early voting locations. Um, the summertime, um, you can find it on the city website, I know Saturday early voting is already coming gone. Uh, but I mean, you can still vote at City Hall. Um, my mom's having a little bit of a health issue this week, so I'm probably going to try to get into City Hall to vote uh, as opposed to uh, going primary day. And since I'm going to take her to vote anyway, I'm also, I'm also do the same thing since I'm there, right? I mean, why, sure. why, why, why waste the trip? Yeah. Um, but there's there's no excuse this year uh, on uh, not voting. We treat mail-in voting and to be able to vote early in person as well as voting on the day of. I don't know what to tell folks. I mean, we, we created so many opportunities to, to make life so much easier for us to get the vote. Yep, absolutely. There was um, uh, voter registration uh, took place uh, the 20, uh, 27th, I think was the last day for that. So even that's been shortened now um, for, you know, to 10 days before the election. Absolutely. We have a birthday. Obviously, you have a birthday by election day. You can register to vote uh, because your birthday is by election day to turn 18. But even then, you're right. I mean, we have online voter registration mm -hmm. uh, which we've had for many years uh and uh, obviously uh, people getting driverless the first time has to do it to opt out it's an opt out over voter registration uh and for example my nephew registered to vote twice by accident yeah. because he didn't opt out when he was an rmv getting his license so you know yeah. the city clerk remedy that so he does not register twice right right 
Um, so this is not uncommon, by the way, of 18 year olds I discovered. Uh, they registered to vote at high school and they registered to vote by accident again at the RMD. But again, the central voter database is where the city town clerks are able to weed those out. So he's not he's not a due voter. That's and right. He yeah. And he mailed in his first ballot uh, before heading off to college. Oh, very good. That's an exciting time for a young person, I'm sure. I remember years ago when dinosaurs roamed the earth and I did my first vote. <laughs> well, you did it on a tablet. You had a chisel to a rock. That's that's right. And I gave it to the the, uh, the sturgeon to you know fly over to city hall. <laughs> um, hey, were you at August Moon, Techie? I was at August Moon Festival. I was there for pretty much the, almost the entire event. You know, handed a lot of paper fans out. People love the Chan fans and some job printers and you know, shit chat of uh, constituents. People had some good questions for me. Um, had some good discussions and I also listened to other people's concerns of you name it I'm there people talk about it I mean it's just they see an opportunity they just want to say whatever and uh, you know and there are a lot of real concerns about you know, the price of living um, the MBT issue which I don't want to talk about the orange line today but we can talk about it a different day we will um, yeah. you know uh, getting around the city congestion um, you know the how they're going to um, Look at the job market. I mean, some people are looking for job changes uh, because they want to uh, get paid better. Big surprise, right? Um, and you know, some there were some policy issues that have gone on, including things like there was in the budget. Um, uh, in particular, you're know, asking about you know funding important programs like domestic violence, you know, uh, homeless programs, high uh, heat, low income energy assistance programs, things like that. So, you know, people talk about that, and people also talk about some sidewalk issues, which again mm-hmm. is a problem. But happy to listen to the concerns about that as well. So it has some great conversation, and also had an opportunity to take Andrea Campbell, candidate for Attorney General, which I'm supporting, you know, around um, the festival as well. And, uh, she actually went to the Low uh, Water Festival. Very few statewide candidates actually come to uh, to Asian festivals uh, in the state. So I was actually very pleased to hear that she, you know, made the effort to go visit the Cambodian community, Southeast Asian community in Low, uh, to talk about their issues and, and learn about how. Um, how things work up there. So I'm happy she came down and spent about uh, 40 minutes of us plus to, to talk to residents. Very nice. Yeah, there's been a few. I know um, Mark Healy was in Quincy not too long ago um, as well. I think Kim Driscoll. So um, things are starting to heat up. Things are heating up. Uh, you know, uh, Nikki is thinking about a 25% turnout in Quincy. That'll be actually very high compared to other communities, Norfolk County. In particular, uh, Quincy has always been able to be the highest uh, percentile voter turnout in primaries, which is why Queens is so desirable by both Democrats and Republicans to campaign here. Yeah, people vote. That's why. Yeah, in both political parties. Yeah. So uh, not surprising. Uh, we also I saw uh, Dottie and uh, Capanella uh, running on the Republican ticket. Uh, and uh, they came by Quincy as well. We said hi. Uh, you know, and it was it was pleasant. I mean, it was <laughs> well. I mean, if you don't remember, because you're too young, um, even I am actually. But Quincy was staunchly Republican for many, many years, uh, going back before the Kennedy era. Yeah, and many people, much more than I have talked about the battles of taking over the city council, the school committee, moving up to the county before getting to the state level. Like all uh, political movements, it all starts at the ground level, working at the local offices, and you work your way up. But it took decades, uh, as I'm reminded by the older generation of Democrats, and we're talking about 25 plus years of grinding. Right. And, uh, people were aware the old political families, Bilates, McIntyre, Tobins, um, and, and uh, so many others, uh, you know, Democratic families uh, that, uh, you know, make the city a Democratic uh, stronghold. 
I know you're pressed for time uh, today, but uh, we should let folks know how to get a hold of you, Tacky. Sure. Uh, you know, the office is 617-722-2370, 617-722-2370. This is a number change. Uh, just remind everybody again, I know we can talk about number change for, for months, but people sometimes don't realize it's number change to say it. Tacky.chan at mahouse.gov, T-A-C-K-E-Y.chan at mahouse.gov. Uh, you know, I, I will get you emails. Uh, I, I do get, I still get a lot of junk mail, folks. I do have to sift through it. Uh, State Representative Tacky Chan website. I'm sorry, Facebook. State Representative Tacky Chan Facebook. You can see a public hearing I did uh, last Monday regarding home rotation of Boston and getting a little tour around the restaurant area. They were going to put those licenses in, as well as um, State Tacky. Uh, I'm sorry, TackyChan.org, which we're working on revamping. Me and the staff had a long conversation about massive revamp coming. So, um, but yeah, plenty of ways to get to me this summer, and uh, you know, hope you all enjoy your Labor Day and for. Please vote on September 6th. All right. Always good to see you. Welcome back from the West Coast and uh, get some rest. Yeah, no, it's good to see you. And uh, we'll talk in about a week's time over what happens on September 6th. <laughs> All right. Thanks again, Jackie. All right. You'll take care. Bye.